Hello, and welcome to the Diversity Beyond the Checkbox podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Ferguson, certified diversity executive, writer, and multicultural marketing consultant. On this podcast, we share diverse perspectives from leaders in their industries, explore diversity, equity, and inclusion concepts, and challenge our own assumptions and perspectives to take diversity beyond the checkbox. Before we introduce today's guest, for more insights and resources related to diversity and inclusion, visit thediversitymovement.com. Please welcome Nichelle Pace to the Diversity Beyond the Checkbox podcast. Nichelle has spent the majority of her career building brands, leading innovations in marketing from print to digital, and was an early adopter of multicultural marketing. Nichelle has worked with big brands and bigger names. Nichelle is the president and principal at Brand Enchanting Media and the host of the Culture Niche podcast. Nichelle, welcome to our show. Thank you, Jackie. Thanks for having me. Of course. Well, let's start our conversation with your background. You've been in high-level marketing for two decades, and you know I'm asking for some name drops here, but can you tell us about some of the interesting people that you've worked with over the years? For sure. At one point in my career, I was doing a lot of integrated marketing that dealt with events with the space of some of the vice brands, alcohol, tobacco, almost, oh God, 20 years ago now. So we got to work with some fantastic artists at that time, including uh, folks you may see on Jimmy Fallon, like The Roots. I did a couple of tours with them. LL Cool J did a segment of our tour. Back then, his security guy, Boom, was one of my favorite people to just sit and chat with. Another artist, uh, Life Jennings, actually sung me a birthday song backstage. And and, uh, John Legend's first solo tour, Wow. So I scouted him when he released his album after, you know, working with Kanye West as a keyboardist and on the cool New Jazz Philosophy tour was his first tour as a headliner. And a little bit more recently, doing some work with Sharp Electronics, we stumbled into a conversation that Sway Calloway was having on his Mm -hmm. uh, radio show and on MTV about the first TV, Sway's first TV, and it happened to be a Sharp TV. (laughs) And so we jumped on that. The story was Kanye West gave him the TV, but he didn't give him the remote. So we actually gave him the old remote to the TV, (laughs) the Sharpeasy, as he called it, and contacted his marketing team on the back channels when we saw the social media chatter. And in about 12 days, pulled together an activation from New York City for South by Southwest to sponsor some events, give him the TV. We gave him a large TV, like a 65 inch to replace the smaller TV. And that was really interesting because even during the whole time we're there and I'm prepping my client to be on the radio and those types of things, Sway walks over to me. He's like, you look like you're the brains of this operation. (laughs) I was like, well, thanks for recognizing that. But yes, this was, you know, my idea to make sure you got this TV, which turns out he's like, I can't get people to leave my house from watching this huge TV. (laughs) So I've had some interesting interactions with people and brands in terms of the entertainment world. And it's been very fruitful. I've made some good relationships along the way. And finally, I can't forget this, that whole Sharp Electronics activation ended up in a Kendrick Lamar song. 
what we did from a marketing standpoint actually made it into pop culture. And, you know, from an advertising standpoint, if your brand makes it into a lyric of a song, you've made a pretty big impact. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. Michelle, of all the celebrities that you've met over the years, who impressed you the most and why? Outside of Sway being very impressive and understanding the business and, and relationships, I have to say I was on the volunteer, my give back marketing committee team for Big Brothers, Big Sisters in the Independence region, which represents uh, Philadelphia, South Jersey, Delaware. And they were doing their 100th anniversary event. And I was assisting them with getting more involved in social media, more engaged. So I'm at the event and the host they had was Marlon Wayans. And I must say, just such a consummate professional. He stayed at the after party for the VIPs. He worked the room until maybe only four people were left. Wow. And that was just super impressive. Just talking with him, Besides, you know, being funny and being a comedian, he just really made sure that he knew he was there to be a brand ambassador and he did his job to the fullest. And I, I was just very impressed on how he made sure he met almost everyone in that room and stayed around and engaged with everyone in the room and authentically and to bring a smile to their face. So it was just real impressive the way he approached, you know, working with a company or, or doing a corporate event and staying beyond as well. Yeah. That, that was really impressive by Marlon Wayans, I must say. That is really fantastic. You know, relationships are so important, aren't they? In any industry, it's important to have those relationships with people and build those relationships. That's how you keep your business going. That's how you continue to do bigger and greater things. So that's, that's really awesome to hear. Being a black woman in advertising is tough. And 20 years ago, it was even tougher. Michelle, can you talk to us about some of the challenges for black women in your industry and how did you navigate it? One of my biggest challenges was not having a mentor. Mm -hmm. Or never walking in a door at an agency and seeing anyone high up that looked like me. It's a little bittersweet because it's a bit twofold. You know, at the time early on in my career, as I was moving up to director level, I tried to seek out working for more diverse agencies or multicultural agencies that had leadership of color or may have been black or brown led. But even then, it was kind of a struggle because, again, it's about relationships. And if they don't know you, even though you might think, well, I'm a person of color, I have the chops, I have the experience, it was still a bit cliquish back then because, you know, that old ad age of, you know, crabs in a barrel, you know, there was still a level of competitiveness between black and brown people in this space 20 and 15 years ago. One thing, not having a mentor and seeing people like me or sometimes being the only black woman at the table, it, it gets lonely. You don't have anybody to bounce ideas of. Going through my whole career without a sponsor, when you don't have a sponsor in the upper levels of senior management and, and sitting in the C-suite, you tend not to put your head down and just stay at a, an agency for 10, 15 years. So I was never one of those 10, 15 your veteran agency folks. I'm a veteran in the ad industry overall and in, in media and entertainment because I did start in um, film and video production. But it was just very challenging and kind of a 
a lonely ride. My status on my iChat aim at the time used to be 3%. And people used to always say, what does that mean? I'm like, because I'm part of the 3% of people of color that are account director level or higher in the agency world. 3%, you know, and that was all people of color, not just black people, wow. you know, and, and, and so that was 17, almost 18 years ago that I was at 3% and that needle hasn't moved far. So not having the, the mentorship, not having the representation, not having the sponsors and just generally not feeling supported, whether it be through HR, or upper management, when you're experiencing microaggressions, mm -hmm. there was no one you could turn to. You either put your head down and if you spoke up, you just knew that, you know, they were going to try and push you out the door. You know, I had to go through experience where, you know, taking a severance package to be mm -hmm. quiet about things that, you know, I thought were unfair and unjust. It was very challenging and difficult. So I pride myself on being a uh, a mentor and being in this space and being that representation to the younger generation. Someone I just interviewed to bring on my team, she was bursting at the seams at the end of the call. She's like, I just have to tell you, you don't understand how much it means to talk to a Black woman and interview for a Black woman. You know, I almost bust into tears. Yeah. <laughs> I just almost bust into tears like, oh, it does mean something. And I'm and I'm looking at her as like a reflection of myself. Mm -hmm. It does mean something. I, I and you know, I've had interactions with senior level black women, but they were not part of, you know, my daily routine in the agency right. world, maybe on the client side, Rhonda Plummer back in the day, we kind of talked about her and, and some of my industry friends that are also African-American women. We told her how much she meant to us, even though we didn't get to, we interacted with her on as our client, but at the same time, she didn't realize how much we looked up to her because we were like, here's a woman. She's a VP of a, a major national corporation. She's so calm, cool, collective. We called her the Oracle, but she was an inspiration for so you know, for the few of us that were in the space at the time, working in marketing and, and advertising and consumer activation that we looked up to mm -hmm. because we didn't have that in our own organization. Now, Nichelle, what advice would you give to young professionals who are culturally diverse entering into this space? You have to have a level of flexibility, but you also have to be really grounded and centered with people. When you work in advertising or marketing or any medium, or you're putting out content, there is a level of responsibility that you have to mm -hmm. do no harm to culture, to society. You see it with, you know, this phenomenon of fake news and misinformation and all the things that are happening. Mm -hmm. You have to really be conscious about what you're putting out as a creator words you're writing as a copywriter and the impact that it has on people because we have the power to communicate to millions at a time yeah. in one shot so as you know the cheesy spider-man say goes with great power comes great responsibility you must take on that responsibility and take it serious you know consumers are are not just data points they are people yes and and people have pains passions, joys, frustrations, and you can either be a 
a positive force with somebody in their day or a negative force, or you can make them laugh or you can make them cry. You can make them think, but everything we do is about persuasion and influence. And we do it at such a mass scale as marketers that I, I take that, you know, responsibility seriously. And I try and impart that onto the next generation. Like, don't take what you do for granted. A lot of people just want to look at the surface and say, oh, that's cool. We got to make a cool ad or we got to make something that was funny or we got something to go viral. But how is that work going to be remembered in this space? What kind of impact does it have? And was it a positive experience for the consumer, for the people that are viewing that content or seeing that ad or listening to that podcast? Like, what can you leave behind that people will remember in a positive manner? And that's what I try to impart on the younger generation. Michelle, that is great advice. Thank you for sharing that. Over the course of your career, you were a leader in the transition from print to digital media. I'd love to hear a little more about that. Yeah, it was an interesting time. Maybe 17 years ago, we started getting more into digital, heavy on the print event activation side, obviously commercial side of things. The agency I was at at the time where I mentioned doing so many of those concerts on the event activation side, we did a heavy print campaign and we partnered with a digital agency, Digital Shop in New York. We were in Philly at the time a digital shop in New York to put together a platform where people can actually kind of make music mixes online and then kind of save and download the MP3. So that was interesting. But then just seeing the whole digital and social media kind of blow up and evolve, I I became an early adopter, installing a digital practice at another agency in Philly that they did not have at the time and helping integrate some of the services to add more digital services, you know, working with at the time they were called Greater Philadelphia Tourism and Marketing Commission on, you know, blogs and and social media content, which is now known as Visit Philly and launching a site that they had called You Wish You Knew. And I had at the time also started a blog called Style Mom because I saw a need in the space for Gen X moms at the time. Now it would include millennial moms where there was no one talking to us. Vogue was kind of talking to you. If you were 20, you know, still had your size four body and you could stay, you know, see all the fashion and beauty trends. And then more magazine had came out and it was supposed to be for the 40 plus woman, but it was very much kind of cardigans and khakis and even some of the commercials for moms back you know, 20 years ago was very much cardigan and khakis. And I'm like, that's not who we are. You know, so being an early adopter and starting a blog, getting more involved on social media on my own helped me understand that world more and bridge that gap between agencies and and what we now call content creators. I don't even think we call them bloggers anymore. Being an early adopter and being around for the start of conferences such as Blogalicious and, and working with the the ladies there. You know, these are all my digital tribe, the lovies of the world, Afrobella, you know, these, we all kind of started at the same time. Issa Rae, you see her now on HBO Secure. We were all at these conferences trying to really create a space in the digital and social media world for women of color and trying to figure out how we could amplify our own voices and yet navigate the business 
of advertising and media and working with brands. So just joining that space early on helped me really stay up on the trends of social media. And then I could take that experience to the agency side. Some of the talks that I would give at the conferences because I was an agency vet would be how to show the content creators, the bloggers, the influencers, how to package yourself to work with agencies, what types of metrics they're looking for, you know, how to make your own media kit. A lot of us in the space, Black women in media and entertainment, we're kind of navigating that space together Mm -hmm. on how to stay on top of the digital trends and those types of things. So it was definitely an interesting time. And I am forever grateful to be a, a part of that movement that started back in 2009 and going up till today. It's it's funny that it's been that long, right. <laughs> you know, and to see everything evolve. We went from a place we would style mom. I'm trying to get invitations to fashion week and the PR people, you know, back then the magazines they wanted nothing to do with bloggers. They felt as though we were a threat, mm-hmm. especially if we talked about fashion and beauty. The the editors didn't want anything to do with it. And then another friend in the biz, Yuli Ziv, she started the Style Coalition. She put together a whole group of bloggers, started the Style Coalition. She's a, a business development queen, and she brokered a deal with Elle Magazine to be a part of their digital network. Then they started to see the value of the voice of influencers and bloggers and what the folks that were the loud voices of digital and social media actually had to offer in terms of extending your content creation, whether it's graphic design or photography or or, or writing, creative writing. And the ROI started to come in. Mm-hmm. And that's what changed a lot of people's hearts and minds about working with digital influencers and social media influencers. So it was very interesting time and to watch this evolution. And I look at the, the TikTok generation now, like you don't even know what we've been through. So you could do this, you know, cause now brands are all in their boxes. Hey, you want to be our Instagram? You don't even know. They weren't even checking for us over a decade ago, but now you guys are, you know, you're the cream of the crop now. So go forth, <laughs> go forth and be great that we had to put in some work for influencers to even be taken seriously. Absolutely. That is so amazing. You know, the thing is, people have a hard time with change. You know, moving from print and everything being print to to digital, what is this? It was a tough transition, I think, for a lot of organizations. And this transition now with our society becoming more and more diverse, we have a similar issue, like, you know, with change and, and people being resistant to change. And on that topic, we'll move into multicultural marketing, because I know you were an early adopter of that. What do organizations need to know, Nichelle, about why this is important to ensuring sustainable business? Let me just frame the whole multiculturing piece and where my philosophy and ideology lie in multicultural. First of all, the world is multicultural. For so long, the advertising industry was very much general market and multicultural market, which made zero sense because we buy the same products <laughs> for the most part, <laughs> unless it's geared to, you know, unless it's dark skin makeup, obviously that's going to dark skin women, but even within that, that's various cultures. So I think our industry needs to 
remove the eye, the whole notion of multicultural marketing, because marketing inherently is multicultural marketing. You're yeah. not just talking to one culture. You're not, not just talking to one age demographic. You're not just talking to one gender. So within that, all marketing has to be considered multicultural marketing because you're trying to, again to reach the masses and the masses is inclusive of many different cultures. You know, you might have to target a little bit differently if you're yeah. trying to reach 30 plus, but even if you're trying to reach 30 plus or 30 plus moms, if you will, as a segment, you're still talking to moms of various backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, gender backgrounds, the whole nine. I think we need to evolve this notion that multicultural marketing is separate. It's not. Mm -hmm. It is what we're doing. That's right. You know, we, we target maybe different groups, different affinity groups. Sure. Which which is part of the the science of advertising and marketing. I always say what we do is the ultimate pinnacle of STEAM, science, technology, engineering, art, and math. That is essentially what advertising and marketing is. It's the behavior science. It's the technology of using, you know, digital services or social media services, the engineering, the building of these platforms, the art is the design and the commercial work that you see. And then the math, when we start tracking the data and the analytics of how well our creative and our, our advertising, our marketing and our messaging is performing. So multicultural marketing in itself needs to be flipped on its head to just be marketing because that's what we're doing. We are marketing to the masses and it doesn't need to be separate. Do you need to switch up your images to have diversity? Yes, that's different. That's on the execution side, but you don't have to have an entirely separate budget to market. You just need to make sure that your your current marketing plan is inclusive of all the cultures you want to hit instead of trying to make it separate. And that's what I would really want to see our industry move to is remove these terms, general market and multicultural market. And just everything is multicultural marketing because we're always going to be talking to different types of people who may like the same brand, but they have different passion points. And, and that in, in itself, like I said, is inherently multicultural. Love that perspective. Let's talk about your podcast, The Culture Niche. Can you share your plan for that and talk about some of your upcoming guests for your podcast? The Culture Niche was developed as another avenue to put our voice out into this space of brand enchanting media. And it's also our content hub where we're going to not just have these podcast episodes, but we will also have different articles and mm -hmm. news pieces about diversity and culture around marketing, branding, the arts, entertainment, all the things that kind of touch uh, the advertising world. We recently just had Jazzy Jeff and next month is Women's History Month. And we're, we're looking to a couple of CMOs and then ahead of a nonprofit, Tanuja Dane will be our guest next month. And then some more we were waiting for confirmations on, but we're going to have a, a mixture of diverse voices, diverse people to talk about everything 
centered around culture and how it relates to the arts, advertising, media, marketing, and influence overall. And just let them kind of tell their stories and, and, and tie in the executional parts of what we do. Like our conversation with Jazzy Jeff, we talked about the pivot during the pandemic and the use of the technology platforms Mm -hmm. and Instagram and how he has his own app that he created to self-host some of his live streams. So what their inspiration is to manipulate some of the mediums and, and then how they view that from a cultural lens and from a personal lens as well. So we're excited to, to bring on more guests as we push out for more bookings. We, we can't wait to see how that grows as a voice. So we're, we're excited to explore more conversations on the culture niche where, you know, it's really the intersection of creativity and culture and what that means for various people across all industries. That's very exciting. I know the the episode with Jazzy Jeff was awesome and I'll look forward to listening to some more. Michelle, let's talk about who inspired you to work as hard as you do between, you know, what you've done in the industry, all of the volunteer things that you do. Now, you know, starting this podcast, who inspired you to work as hard as you do? I'm definitely inspired by the women in my family. You know, the creative side to me comes from my mother. As I grew up, she painted. So all of her paintings were around the house. I had a sketchbook. She had a sketchbook. Always, you know, albums, music, you know, every day, every Sunday, cleaning the house, you know, the, that, the reminiscent of Sunday cleaning and, and, and the, the big record player that sat up uh, between my grandmother's house and my mother's house. So I'm inspired creatively. Mm-hmm. That came from my mother in terms of just helping people that came from my grandmother. She was always, you know, the helper taking people in or she was always the one we all went to, whether it was my uncles, my mother, myself, my kids, you know, when they needed counsel or when they needed support. And she was straight, no chaser. Rest her soul. She lived to be 96. In terms of just personal inspiration from a creativity standpoint, those are some of the people that have inspired who I am as a person. But in terms of working and the challenge, you know, I'm also, I'm inspired, but I'm more motivated by the need to change the culture and society for my children and being a mother. So they don't have to deal with the hard things that I've had to deal with, you know, so being a mother inspires me to change the culture and the society and, 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 and the shift that we're seeing and be a part of that to, to make sure they don't have to go through the same struggles, you know? And then the final part of who inspires me are the haters, the naysayers, <laughs> you know, for every door that was closed in my face, for every person that said, no, you're talking too loud for, you know, every person that wanted me to shrink to fit into their space or who didn't think I was, you know, who would use my intellectual and creative capital to make them money, but then not give me the recognition or the promotion or the respect. That also is a motivation for me. And that just doesn't go for people that were, like I said before, not of color. That also goes, unfortunately, to people in in the space that were of color. Mm -hmm. that may have closed those doors. You know, I went through, there was a time where I was going to 
be a senior director at a quote unquote multicultural shop, accepted the job offer, had great interviews. It was wonderful. You know, I was all excited, like, yeah, I'm working for people of color. I'm working with a diverse team, you know, had great interviews with the VP, the chief creative director, like her, hire her. All right, I accept the offer. All right, before you start going and meet the president, was not nice, was not a nice interaction. And to look across the room and see somebody that I would consider of my own culture mm-hmm. treat me like that, that was also motivation for me. You know, I have to be a better representation in this space. You're not representing right now. So again, those that have slammed the door in my face, they also are motivators to work harder and to work smarter. And examples of the leaders that I do not want to be. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't just want to mentor other young women of color. I take pride in mentoring also people that are not of color because they need to be able to see us as leaders as well. Yeah. So I think it's crucial that, yes, I, I, I love mentoring young women of color, but I've also mentored young white women that I love to death who counted on me to lead them. But I think it's, it's crucial for the next generation when we're out there mentoring, you know, as people of color, that we are inclusive in our mentorship. So then that changes the mindset of the next generation of what leadership looks like, because they're going to have that ingrained in their memory. Well, she was the best leader I had Mm -hmm. and she was a black woman. That's right. So that's important for me as well. So those are the, the different avenues that I get my motivation from. Michelle, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Tell us, and I love asking this question, tell us something about you that not a lot of people know. Well, I auditioned when I was in my 20s for Stomp. And I actually made, it was 2,000 people in New York. We were everywhere out in this courtyard for the audition before you could go in the studio. And I actually made it down to the final 200. And they called me to do an international cast and go to Japan. And I had to turn it down because I didn't want to leave my oldest son, who was like barely one at the time. But I actually auditioned for Stomp and and made the Stomp cast. I I had the bruises of show and I lost both my big toenails for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) from stomping in boots from that two-day audition. Wow. And then, Nichelle, I've so enjoyed this conversation from, you know, the perspectives to the, you know, deep care and concern, which which is so awesome to see in any industry, but especially around, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. But what, Nichelle, do you want to leave our audience with today as we start to wrap up? I just want to leave folks with, you know, we're going to get fatigued in this. I'm actually sitting here looking for a therapist <laughs> on on my phone, but just within these struggles, within these battles, make sure to take the time for you. It's okay to say no. It's okay to shut it down if you if you need to regroup because you're going to need to. Yeah. Sometimes we have to make a conscious effort to step back away from this fight, if you will, yeah. from going on these journeys of pushing for a more diverse and equitable and inclusive society. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it can be exhausting. It's okay. I want to leave people with the fact that it's okay to be fatigued. It's okay to want to scream and throw your hands up and cry and just like, I can't do this anymore. It's okay to have those frustrating feelings and, and work yourself through 
those emotions. So don't run for them, embrace them um, and take the time you need. I think, especially for people of color and more and more, there's more awareness for us to have a certain level of mental health and taking care of ourselves from a, a mental and emotional standpoint. I'd like to see more of that because it's going to take mentally sound people to continue this fight. So I'd like to impart with people to make sure you take the time for you. Your health is your wealth, as the old cliche goes. So making sure that within these struggles, within this fight, take time for the joy, because that's really what we're fighting for is to be free to have joy in all its shapes, forms and facets. Mm -hmm. And for our children to have joy that is, you know, unlimited and that doesn't have a ceiling that that doesn't get put in a box. So, you know, take time to to have that joy in your life as well in between the fight. Great advice. Great advice. Thank you for that. Michelle, thank you so much for being on our show today. I really enjoyed every moment of this conversation. Tell uh, our listeners how they can get in touch with you. You can always find me on LinkedIn, Michelle Pace, and then you can find our company, we're brand enchanting on every platform on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find us at brandenchanting.com. You can also find us at theculturenitch.com and the Culture Niche Podcast, which is streaming on all platforms. Michelle, thank you for spending some time with us today. Again, I really enjoyed it. Absolutely, absolutely. I love having this conversation with you today, Jackie. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you like this show, we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, and leave us a rating and review as well. This show was edited and produced by EarFluence. If you're looking for information on how full-service podcast production can amplify your voice and build your community, visit EarFluence.com. I'm Jackie Ferguson, and we'll see you soon on Diversity Beyond the Checkbox.